This is week seven of our series. We've been looking into this, and, and normally I don't stay on series teaching this long, but it's been so many different topics about uh, Jesus giving us principles for life on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, next week, we will wrap it all up. We're going to spend eight weeks. It's the eighth week. Next week, we'll wrap it up. And, uh, and that'll be it for this series. But last week, we talked about what Jesus had to say about money and about possessions and about and worrying, and, uh, because it's never his will for us to worry. And I find it very interesting that the very next thing he says after worry and seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteousness and all these things and consider the lilies of the valley that told not. And he, he starts, and then the next thing he says is, don't judge. Interesting. It's very easy to look at the decisions other people make with their money and make judgment calls about them. It's wisest to remain silent sometimes and avoid judgment altogether. But when do we judge? When do we not judge? In which cases do we judge? Anybody here ever hear somebody say, well, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge. Well, Christians aren't supposed to judge. Why are you judging? You're not supposed to judge. The Bible says don't judge. Anyone ever hear this before? So does the Bible say never judge, don't judge, sometimes judge? If so, what do you judge? What is judging? Let's take a look. But tonight I want to talk about he has a gift for you, and you'll see how that makes sense at the end. Look what, uh, I need somebody, Matthew 7, 1 to 5. A child, Matthew 7, who can read some verses for me, Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Come on up. Come on. Let me see. I, I know that Jude knows how to read. I know Graham knows how to read. I know Weston knows how to read. I, I know it. I know that Nathan knows how to read. I know that Gabe knows how to read. I, 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 we got so much. And, and Wyatt, he's coming up. Are you coming up to read for me? Why it's like I'm never moving in the sanctuary during his message again. So is nobody going to read? Unreal. You want to read? Come on, man. Had a boy, Jude. Yeah, yeah. You can read it. You can read it off there or right here. Here, you got to read it in here. The first. Yep. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Keep going. Read that whole thing. Or you will be trended as you trend others. The standard you in judging, using judging, <laughs> is standard by which you will be judged. And why were ye? about a speak in your friend's eyes when you have a long in your own. How can you uh how can you think of saying to your friend let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the 
log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, get rid of log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Give me five. Hey. Awesome. Yeah. Come on. That's good stuff. See, we're, we're not just, this is not just a service for kids. They're leading it. But these kids, when they get, you know, there's adults that say, my greatest fear is standing in front of a, a group of people and speaking. So we're doing practical things here, too, not just spiritual. Getting up, and I, I give kudos to anybody that's willing to do that, especially at a young age. And so, yeah, he says, don't judge others, and you will not be judged. And, and I do believe this passage includes principles of a, a wide range of life. But remember, he had just been talking about money, possessions, and worry at the end of chapter 6. Then he goes into this. Could it be that these two topics are related because chapters didn't come till later in the translation process? They didn't, the, the Bible wasn't just, oh, chapter 7, chapter 6. That was added in the translation process to break things up, and I'm grateful it was. But he goes from trust and possessions into judge not lest thee be not judge. Could it be that, that, that people who are consumed with what others are doing with their money and possessions are often the ones who have an internal issue with money and possessions themselves. Who possibly have some of the biggest logs in their own eyes. You look at the broader scope of these principles, and the passage starts off with one of the most confusing and misunderstood passages in the Bible. Don't judge others. Judge not lest he be not judged. People take that and run with it. Does this mean we're never supposed to make judgment calls? Everyone, everyone should be allowed to preach. Who wants to preach next Sunday? You, everyone should be allowed. Everyone should be allowed to lead worship. Everybody should be allowed to be in leadership. That sounds, I mean, if you put it on a, on a corporate level, not just a church level, they don't say, hey, hey, you want to, we're, we're taking volunteers. We're taking volunteers for the, the CEO of our company this Sunday. Who wants to volunteer? Well, I'll, go, I'll do it. Right? No, there's, there are certain protocols. There's certain preparation in order to be in certain positions. And, but people could say, well, you should let me preach because what are you, you, you going to judge me? What, you should let me be the CEO of your company. Just judging me, you should give me a chance. Well, remember Jesus, he was talking to a group of people who had just started coming and following him. And up to this point in his teaching, he kept saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day, and we already know what Jesus said about them. Look at Matthew 23, 27, dare I ask again, anybody has Jude opened up the, opened up the doors? And made it more comfortable for anybody else. Man, there's so many incredible readers. Fear is, fear is strapping you to the seat right now. Fear is, I just, I just preached last week about how we shouldn't be afraid of anything. We shouldn't fear anything. And fear is keeping our children's ministry department on their seats. So no one is going to come up and read. 
Come on, Micah. Matthew 23, 27. Hey, the good news is if you come read, you get to take your mask off for a minute. What sorrow awaits your teachers of religious law and your Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like what whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawness, lawlessness. Awesome. Great job. He's saying, you got heart issues. You look the part. Everything looks great, but inside, you're messed up. And one of the things they would do, would they'd walk around judging people harshly, the Pharisees would. They definitely didn't offer love, and they didn't offer grace. But then Jesus goes through, and he starts emphasizing, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love those who hate you. Don't even look at someone with lust, or you've committed adultery. And these things took the law of Moses to the next level. Mercy and grace were dominant themes of the Sermon on the Mount. Things that the Pharisees did not excel in. But this teaching did not come to the, at, the, uh, at the expense of, of, of being clearly opposed to sin. Meaning this, don't judge does not mean you, you must accept all sin and be silent about it. And that's what the, the, the narrative is. That's what's trying to be pushed today in, in, our, in our society and, and even somewhat in the school system, education system at times, that you're supposed to just accept everybody for everything, keep your mouth shut. And if you say, well, I'm just not comfortable with that, then you get labeled. Wow. Now, I'm not saying everyone should go to school tomorrow and say, all right, I got my judge's robes pressed. I want all my friends to come and just stand in a line here, and I'm going to talk to you about what my judgment is on your character. People misinterpret what the Bible says about judging and saying we should never judge, but a closer look at Matthew 7 shows that he's referring to hypocritical judging. He's referring to pharmaceutical judging. And he went on to say that when a hypocrite cleans up his own life, then he's fit to judge the life of another. He's really targeting this at the Pharisees. Hey, you guys, you guys look like you're the part and the religious on the outside, but you need to clean up your own self before you judge other people. He went on to say that, and, and of course, it's always wrong to make judgments about a person's motives or thoughts because we don't know their mind. And that's why John 7 says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Now, that's interesting because if I'm not supposed to judge someone, why did that passage say, look beyond the surface so you can judge correctly? Scripturally, we must make judgments in matters of biblical doctrine and righteous living. The Bible is our foundation. If we don't discern and follow what God says, then it becomes just another book. And then everyone who will be doing whatever they think is right, like, like in Judges, it says the Israelites, at one point they, re, they fell so far from God that everybody just did whatever was right in their own eyes. At one point, Paul told the New Testament church, mark and avoid them who teach anything contrary to them what, than what we taught. How can you mark and avoid someone 
You're supposed to say, okay, what they're teaching, I need to measure that against Scripture, and if it goes against Scripture, then I need to avoid that type of teaching. Well, in order to make that judgment call, I have to be able to judge it against something, which is the Word of God. And so how do we... How do we do this? Well, you look now at personal matters, which are disputable. Romans 14 talks about matters which, which we're not to judge because they're disputable is what is, it's talking about. Disputable things, what does that mean? Well, those are things God left to our choice. You guys didn't judge me when I came here as a Packer fan. <laughs> yes, you did, and you're sinners for it. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So many things. No, Paul in Romans 14, he says, don't judge what we eat, because back in the day, they would judge what you'd eat. But then Peter has a dream, arise, kill any, oh, I can't kill, that's unclean. Don't call what I've created unclean. And so he now opens the door for them to eat whatever they desire. And so he says, don't judge anymore what people eat and what they don't eat. So don't judge me if I don't eat refried beans. Don't judge what day people worship, because even to this day, well, I worship on Saturday, I do Sunday, I do. Listen, we worship on Sunday because we feel like there's some scriptural basis for that. But you know what? It's not a heaven or hell thing. If somebody wants to say, well, at our church, we worship on Thursday. We don't look at somebody and say, heathen. What translation we read? That's sensitive. There's people watching online that probably just clicked off. But hey, when somebody says, I, I, somebody says, I've been trying to dabble in the word. I don't, I don't really understand it. So I picked up this translation. Well, don't read that translation. Oh, great. You've been really motivating to them. <laughs> they're reading. I don't care if this is the first time they're touching the Bible. What in the world? Thank God you're reading the word. We'll deal with the translation stuff later. I mean, like, plus, the King James Version, New Living, ESV, do you know that that was none of those were the original language in which the Bible was written in? Wearing a tie to church or not? I'm not trying to say killed sacred cows here. I'm going to wear a tie on Sunday. But, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, if I showed up with just a sweater and not a coat, some of y'all might be messed up. Now, do we have certain things that we say, hey, on the platform, we're going to do this? We're gonna... Yeah. But do you know that there's no, the, a tie is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible? Matters are personal choice and not essential for salvation. A certain matter might seem absolutely trivial to, to us, but to another person in another culture. It might be a serious issue and damaging to their faith or bad for a Christian image. I'm getting ready to do a series here in a few weeks about fearfully and wonderfully made and the diversity, the body. Oh, guys, you can't, oh, it's going to be so amazing. How our bodies are so diverse, but yet so unified. But in that, it really reflects even culture and society. I mean, right now, if we told the youth group, guys, in the culture of this church, we really believe that marriages should be arranged. 
I mean, I will make a good choice for my family. And we might even bring back the dowry now that I'm married and, you know. But to another culture, that to us, that sounds insane. Oh, that's crazy. But to another culture, something as love and that lifelong decision to leave it up based on just a feeling and a thought and love, that, that's, they, to them, that's crazy. And so before we start saying something to someone, oh, that's crazy that you, I can't believe, they probably view you and your practice and tradition just as crazy. And so that's where we learn to live in this world. And we're not doing a good job in society as a whole. I'm not talking about refuge church. I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about human beings as a whole. One of the beautiful parts about living in the United States of America is freedom. Freedom of religion. And even when someone says, I choose to engage in this religion, and I think that religion is not the word of God, it's not God's plan, it's not God's will. But I'm still so thankful that we're in a place where someone can make their own choices and nothing's forced on them. And so we have to learn to embrace that, the fact that, you know what, there's other viewpoints, but what about when the viewpoints attack us personally and they're forced upon us, then we have to make judgment calls. Well, the Bible says, you're a Christian, you're not supposed to judge. Does it? Does it? Does it? Because I don't know. You look at this, and another example of warning our brothers and sisters, in, in anybody? James 5, 19? I will steal their heavenly blessing by doing that. There we go. This guy sits in front of hundreds of people at nationals on a quiz board. I know this wasn't going to scare him. Come on. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and it, is, and it is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from the wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Praise God. Thank you, man. Awesome. It's not possible to follow these instructions and save this person from death without first judging the actions and saying, hey, I'm reaching out to you based on something I see. As hard as it might be to do, it's an act of love confronting a sinning brother or sister, and it's, not, it's un uncaring to tr not try to help them. Even though people will tell us, oh, you shouldn't judge, the Bible makes it clear that we should in certain cases. There are at least seven clear examples where apostles, apostles exposed error. And so if you're in a group of friends and someone says, oh, you know what? The Bible says that it doesn't matter what you do because we don't have to obey that. We all just go to heaven. You're sitting there with two or three people. Well, I, I disagree. Well, the Bible says don't judge me. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not judging you, but I'm going to put a judgment call based on what you just said because it's going to cause confusion in the circle of people that are here listening to you, and that is not what the Bible says. I'm going to say this with respect and kindness to you, but I have to make a judgment call because there's a source of absolute truth that states something differently. 
And so there's a lot of peer pressure telling us not to judge and not to speak against false teachings, even when souls might be misled. And, and however, if we don't show people their error, folks, there's a time, people are going to end up in hell. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And if there's error and we're known in that circle of people and error is being brought forward, then I have to make a judgment call and say, hey, this is not correct. But look at Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Yes. Awesome. Is this the first young lady? Yes. Way to represent the ladies. 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. 15, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, Why, who, who is the head of his body, the church. Yes. We're not being like immature children, she said. Good job, Aubrey. And he, it says, instead, we're going we're to speak the truth. How? Every time we speak the truth, it should be done in love. And, and my mom could tell you the story. I could tell you the story. My dad, he, he was new in church, and he was very zealous for the Lord. And, and somebody had been saying some false stuff. And my dad was like, I'm going to confront him. And he, he was new. And so he went to an elder in the church and brought his letter and he just nailed it. Like he had scripture and here's his argument, scripture, scripture. I mean, like it was phenomenal court of law. Like we found the defendant guilty. He would have won. Like it was awesome. And he showed it to this elder in the church and the elder read over and he's like, so what do you think? And the elder looked at them, handed them the paper and said, it is, you make your point. You win the argument. He said, um, but is that what you're trying to do? Win the argument? We're not out trying to win arguments with people. And so if you're speaking the truth to win an argument, you should shut your mouth. But if you're speaking the truth with love to try to caringly and lovingly expose something that could cause damage to a life or multiple lives, people know we're such intelligent creatures People know when you genuinely care about them. And you cannot correct someone who does not feel loved by you. Because when we try to correct someone who only feels like you're there just for the correction, but there's not a genuine love for them, that's what causes bitterness. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, people grow up in churches like that. And so, you know what happens? Is it just legalistic and I just want my freedom. This church does this and they force this on me. I hope no one, especially children in student ministries, that you feel like anything is ever forced on you. I hope that everything you feel from your Sunday school teachers, me as your pastor, youth pastor, leadership teams, that you feel loved and that when we say, yeah, Scripture says this, it is only because we love you so much. 
And so I don't, I don't want us to walk around looking to judge someone or their wrongdoings. If the actions are outside the will or plan of God, I deem it to be detrimental to me, my family. I will address it with love, grace, and mercy. And Jesus will make it clear and momentarily. He says, we'll know people by the fruit they bear. So I will add this. The passage states, you will be judged by the standard in which you judge other people. Remember that before you get too dogmatic or harsh about your stances against people's positions or their failures. Because guess what? For every person that holds a stone and says, Stone! Let those of you who are without sin cast the first stone. I find it interesting. Judging can sometimes get awkward. When you judge the way people parent before you have kids. way people spend money before you have any. The way retired people spend their time before you're retired. What you would do as a manager when you've never managed people. <laughs> Judging can get awkward. Brother Tenney, I said this, and I'm, I, I wish I could knew it verbatim. Livingston's might know this more than me, but it was something along the lines of he said, preach more for what you're for than what you're against. If what you're against changes, that can get rather embarrassing. So stand on scripture without wavering, but always be willing to offer grace and mercy. The topic of judging It'll, be, it'll make more sense as we wrap up next week because he's getting ready to talk about false teachers and looking to destroy them. And, and they were going to have to learn uh, uh, in themselves what is, what is healthy judgment. Not, not that he was looking to destroy the false teachers, but the, the false teachers looking to destroy their movement, the, the spread of the gospel. And so Jesus was investing in them. Why? Because in the next week as we wrap up, they needed to know what's the difference between healthy judgment and unhealthy judgment. Healthy judgment is about avoiding false teachers, knowing what you stand for. Unhealthy judgment about the prideful Pharisees and not reflecting them and being like them. And so you're always trying to find that. Unfortunately, there are people in this world who say, I'm religious, and they give us terrible names. Because they've been so dogmatic and so judgmental to so many people that sometimes we get lumped in a group with them. But then the other error is sometimes we say, well, I don't want to be like that, so I'm just going to let everything go. Well, no, we have to, we have to find the balance. I'm not going to walk around judging everybody, but I also know what I stand for. And when it goes against the word of God, I'm not judging you personally. I'm judging the words you're saying or your actions based on scripture. And I have to do that. How does Paul say mark and avoid false teaching? You have to make a judgment call based on scripture. And then Jesus goes on. Who's reading next? Matthew 7, 6. Kevin, you, yeah, you, yeah. I was ready to hand you the mic. I mean. Come on. Who's up next? Come on.
Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We, uh, we're not going to be here too much longer, so I want you to just tune in, because this part, this is awesome. We talked about some judging, there's been some teaching, there's been some training principles for life, but now we've been driving through the suburban neighborhoods, going 30, now we're out on the highway. I'm shifting, by the way, if you don't know what I'm doing there. Anybody still know how to drive a stick shift today? Raise your hand. Man, that's surprising. Look at this. Oh, stick shift is so much fun, especially if it's a fast car. Not that I would never go over the speed limit, but it's... (laughs) The Lord values persistence. Scripture tells us, well, I don't want to ask him, you know, I've already... Keep on asking. And you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Who here has ever prayed for something and God did not answer it? You didn't know what the answer was. You're still waiting. Anybody the first time, it just wasn't answered. If every hand is not in, you either aren't praying or you're lying. Every hand. We've all asked God something that he did not answer on the first time. And we're like, now what do I do? Well, he says here, Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Some of you have maybe even asked God to fill you with the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. So many times, I remember my founding pastor talked about how he prayed for years to get the Holy Ghost. And he just kept praying and he just couldn't seem to get, he'd come to an altar and he'd cry and he'd weep and he just would never speak in tongues, never received the Spirit. And he was so discouraged and he just kept praying and kept begging God and eventually God filled him with the Spirit years later in his bed bedroom. And so many times you might have come to an altar and you've prayed or said a prayer at home and God didn't fill you right at that moment. Maybe maybe even you're discouraged here tonight. Yeah, I've prayed prayers and God's not doing it. And I've, I've asked God and he hasn't heard me and he hasn't responded. And, and some of you may remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the Lord's Prayer, which is a smaller part of this larger teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. And I told you that Jews rarely addressed God as, as Father. But Jesus, when he prayed, he called, he he said, Father, every single prayer except for one. In Romans 8, Paul writes to the church and talks about how they were no longer under bondage because for them, it was you got to wear certain clothes, you have to bring a certain animal on a certain day and do a certain, uh, a certain uh, line of, 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 of events and I have, to, I have to come in, it has to be structured and, and, and we have to do it on this day and then there was all this stuff and there was such fear because you need to bring the wrong sacrifice, he'd strike you dead, you'd pull you out, like it was, it was legit stuff. <laughs> And Paul would talk about the law being bondage, and he was saying, listen, guys, you ain't under bondage anymore. The law brought us to this point. It served a purpose. He called it a a schoolmaster. It taught us what we needed to do to get us right here. But now Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he says, you know what he says? He says, now you can cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that means in Greek? That is daddy or papa. 
That is the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. Now, I know some of us here watching online, you maybe, I, I didn't have dad or a father in my life. He wasn't engaged. He, was, he did terrible things to me. And so that image sometimes can like, oh, it makes me feel. But that's not what he's, he's talking about, the perfect love, the perfect father, the one that maybe if you didn't have that perfect father, the one you wish you would have had. And he says, I, he gave us that spirit to, we're not, under a, 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 we're not under a bondage, but that we can cry out, Daddy, Papa. That's the relationship he wants with us. And what we're about to read is the second time, the second time in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus compares our relationship to God with a loving father. Check this out. I'll read this in verse 9, Matthew 7, 9. You parents... How many parents we got in here tonight? How many parents we got watching online? You can even say parent here, comment. But he says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If you do, don't raise your hand right now. Somebody's going to call APS on you. You're going to be in trouble. Don't do it. <laughs> Most parents... Hey, Dad, I'm, I'm, can I get a piece of bread? You're like, yeah, go in the landscaping. Pick out a stone. <laughs> like, who does that? And then he says, or if they ask you for fish, to give them a snake. Now, we're talking about kids here, so we're not talking about perch and salmon, okay? Let's just put it on. They want a fish stick. I'm, I want lunch. I want, give me a fish stick. How many parents, your kids like fish sticks? Me and my wife are not good parents. My kids like fish sticks. So they say, give me a fish stick. I'm hungry for a fish stick. And they say, yeah, here, I got something for you. I mean, who did that? You, you're looking at this like, this is ridiculous. Nobody does this. This is crazy. And he says, so let me get this right. He says, if you sinful people, because we're all sinners, your parents, you don't do these things. You look at it, you don't give them a snake when they ask for a fish stick. You don't give them a stone when they ask for bread. And you're sinful people, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? Will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? In the King James Version, you know what it says? How much more will the heavenly father give his spirit to those who ask him? I'm telling you, we serve a God tonight that loves us so much that he says, I want you to call me daddy or papa. I want to have that type of relationship where you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. Matter of fact, if you want something, come and ask again. If you've knocked on my door, you know, sometimes our parents and stuff, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to knock on the door. They might yell, what if they're taking a nap? Oh, uh, no, no. He says, when you knocked on my door, keep knocking. If you've looked all over me, keep looking. Don't give up. If you've asked me for something, keep asking. You are my child. 
I want you to call me daddy and papa. I am there for you. He says, and if you as parents can understand this concept, I want you to understand how much more me as the heavenly father, what do I want to give you? I want to give you my spirit. I want to give you good gifts. What an amazing relationship that we have with our God as I close right now. God is not some creator in a far-off galaxy or universe where we're going, God, God, God. I just hope it gets there to him. God, 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 God. If you're there, 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 there. That's sometimes how we picture God. And we're going, God, I'm going through it. And we're like shouting. And God is literally like, hey, man, you don't need to shout. I'm right here. What's up? I feel like I haven't, feel like you haven't heard me. We'll keep asking. I feel like I haven't been able to find you. I know, just keep seeking. I'm here. But I don't know when to stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. What a relationship we have with our Savior. That he, he's not some far off galaxy like he's just, did you mess up? I'm trying to, uh, see, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread, hanging by that tie. If you mess up, I'm going to drop you in hell and that's what I'm waiting to do eventually. I'm like, that's not the God we serve. It's a totally different picture. Call me daddy. Call me papa. Keep, keep knocking. You ain't bugging me. Keep seeking. You got to understand, in that culture, all the other false gods I talked about at Sunday, Daniel says, their gods didn't dwell among the people. <laughs> we have a God that says, not only do I dwell here, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. I'm your daddy. I'm your papa. I'm here. What an incredible relationship we have with God. So much that in Scripture, in John 14, he says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this weren't so, would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? He says, when everything's ready, I am coming back for my people. I will come and get you. Why is he going to come and get us? So that where I am, you can be also. Why? Because eternity is really resurrecting his initial plan at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, how he made, made uh, men and women, and, and they're walking around the garden, and he walked with them in the cool of the day, had a, had a, had a, in a relationship with them, and, 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 had, and, and spoke to them, and walked with them, and he was with them and among them. He says, I'm coming back again. Why? Notice he says, it's my father's house again. It's that, that father language, that understanding so that we can always be together. And the space isn't limited. It's not like a high-end resort where, you know, tickets are on pre-sale and you need a code. No. See, I got plenty of room. Listen, the Lord wants to be with you. And every time I do Family Wednesday, I try to speak a little bit to our children and our youth too. But if you're an adult and you think this message is, is not for you, you missed it. Because this message is for you too. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. 
God is, God is, he has always been looking forward to the day that he comes back for his people and we dwell together with him in eternity. And the most amazing gift he has, he says, I want to put my spirit in you. So if you know as parents how to give good gifts and you're not always good people, how much more does my heavenly father want to give his spirit to anyone who asks him? I'm telling you, if you're here tonight and you have never received the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, I'm getting ready to open this altar and you're right here on a Wednesday night. You want to talk about traditions and stuff? Sometimes in Pentecostal churches like this, there's a tradition that you got to wait for an evangelist, you got to wait for a Sunday, you got to wait for the whole praise team to be up here. Like, show me that in scripture. All I see is a, as a heavenly father that says, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. I want to give you my spirit. You're my child. I want to be where you are. So guess what? I'm getting ready. You can stand to your feet. We're going to open up this altar. If you're here, I don't care if you're four years old, 14, 44, 84, you can come to an altar and you can begin to, to cry out to God. Oh God, you're my father, my daddy, my papa. You're the one. Oh God, you're here, Lord. I know you're with me. And, and you can begin to say, God, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, God, cleanse me. I'm so sorry for everything that I've said or done wrong. And I'm telling you right here on a Wednesday night, God will fill anybody with his spirit who needs his spirit. And if you're here and you're saying, well, I've been praying for some things and I just, I don't know what to do at this point. Listen, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. God is sitting here saying, I want to hear your voice. I want to walk with you. I love you. I want to be among you. I can't wait to come back and get you so we can be together in eternity forever and ever and ever. Uh, if you're here and you need the Holy Ghost, Wednesday night's going to be your night. You're going to have, you're going to be a unique and special person who can always say, hey, I know a lot of people get the Holy Ghost on a Sunday, but I got mine on a Wednesday, on Family Wednesday, right after a middle of a, a polar voice vortex in liberty. I'm telling you, God's going to do something right now. Just begin to cry out to him. Raise your voice to him. Adults, children, youth, everybody. We can begin to raise our voice because we all have those prayers that we just feel like, God, did you hear me? God, did you answer me? God, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing right now. He told us in his word, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Don't give up. Don't stop because he's the one that he told us to do this. Oh, I tell you right now, just begin to raise your voice to him. Raise your voice to him. Let the request be known again. Bring it before the throne room again. Knock on heaven's door again. Oh, in Jesus' name.